listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I believe that this is really not just cool, but I think it's really important. Uh, I was talking actually to David last week and I, you know, just talking about how amazing his lesson was on why, why when the Bible talks about praying for Jerusalem, it's not symbolic. Like it really means we're going to pray for Jerusalem. And I was just talking about how great the message was last week and how important it is because I really believe that, that uh, good theology is the ladder to powerful prayer. Like good theology is the ladder to step up into prayer and intercession in a greater measure. Because if you don't have good theology, you're just throwing random stuff at the wall, right? You're just throwing stuff at the wall. And you, listen, I want to give you an example, right? When I first got saved, uh, I found I started reading the Bible. I'm all over the place: Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere in between. And so I'm, I get saved, and I'm like fiery. I'm like praying. Listen, I, I, I've been I've been doing this prayer thing. Like I've been praying. And when I first got saved, I used to just find Bible verses and I would pray them. And so I remember one time, me and my wife, we were um, we were praying. We were just um, going through some stuff. I'm like, I'm going to bring heaven down. God's going to change some things. So I said, grab my hand, sweetie. I said, Lord, we pray that you will bring your calamity down on us right now in the name of Jesus. Not a lot of laughs. I guess y'all don't know what calamity is. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm asking the Lord to, like, bring destruction and, like, his reign of terror and bad things down on us. Like, I, and I was praying with passion. Like, I think the Lord, I think I prayed it so well, the Lord actually answered it. Like, uh, you don't know what you're saying, but you got the faith for it. So here you go. I'm going to use this as a building moment, right? But it's important to understand why we pray what we pray. Why when we read these words, like I've set watchmen on the wall, why it actually matters. And why it's not just a random verse in the Bible that we can pull on to just throw out there and if you know if you've been in this prayer room from any amount of time you know that we pray the uh, Isaiah 62 watchman on the wall often we pray it often and we it's like it's one of our mantras we just we're always going for it so we're going to talk about like the watchman the Isaiah 62 call and mandate on the house of prayer why it's important so if you have this if you don't have it find somebody that does we're going to go through uh quite a few scriptures today we're going to start at Isaiah 62 we're going to go through some other scriptures and we're going to finish at Isaiah 62 so let's go ahead and get started Jalen can you put up um Isaiah 62 verses 6 through 7 so if you have your Bible, I would suggest you go there. This is a popular one. We talk about it a lot, right? I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention to the Lord, do not keep silent. Give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as a praise in the earth. Now, there is a lot in this verse. And let me tell you, as somebody that prays it often, it's very fun to pray. Because you can move that thing all sorts of ways and just keep it very, like, just biblically sound. But just, I can set watchmen, Lord, set watchmen in my home, set watchmen over Tampa, set watchmen over Jerusalem. But I want to talk about the watchmen. So if you're on this page, this first page, I'm just going to give a few descriptions of what the watchmen were, right? Like, let's just physically, let's tangibly talk about what were these people. Because uh, it's the Lord calling all of us to go stand on a real physical wall in Jerusalem, Maybe some of you praise the Lord, but not me. <laughs> Amen. Um, so what's, what's a watchman, right? Let's talk about it. Um, one of the definitions is one who looks out. 
one who would be on the wall and look outwards. They would look outwards for several things. They would look outwards for imposing danger if enemies were coming, if other nations were coming to start war. They were the ones that were watching on the wall day and night, and they would sound the alarm at incoming danger. Another thing that they would look for is they would watch the, they would look out from the walls with the intent of seeing any of their Jewish people coming so that they could have safe passage. And they would actually have these torches that they would hold up so that they could have a they could see the light of where people were so that people could find their way back in by the light. Um, whatever, what, what, what else I want to talk about? Um, the spiritual well-being and the physical well-being, right? So they watched for on the wall physically and they watched spiritually. You'll notice that um, throughout the Old Testament, you see several prophets are called as watchmen. Ezekiel's called as a prophet. Many of us know the language like if you do not uh, tell people of their sins, their blood will be on your hands because you are a watchman over their souls, right? New Testament talks about elders and leaders are the watchmen over your soul. So basically don't give them trouble because it won't work out well for you. That's the New Testament, praise the Lord. But the point is this, is that watchmen were established by the Lord to look out for something and look out for someone. We're going to talk about Isaiah 52, one of my favorite verses about um, the watchman here at the end. But that's a basic definition of the watchman. Now, here's a really cool thing about the watchman uh, that maybe it, it makes sense, but maybe you didn't know, is that watchmen, of course, had to be of the children of Israel, that it couldn't be a Gentile. Why? And the reason, this is the reason why um, Gentiles would flee. This is the reason why Gentiles could not become watchmen, even if they had given themselves to the Lord. Gentiles would flee at incoming danger because they had no heart connection to the people in the walls or the God of Israel, and they had no blood connection. So the reasons why Gentiles could not be watchmen on the wall is because they had no heart connection and because they had no blood connection. So we're going to talk about this throughout the next few minutes about the heart connection, the blood connection, and understanding, like, if we're going to talk about Isaiah 52 and we're watching, we've got to understand the biblical historical context of what these people did, and why is it that we can take this verse and just start to shout it out, and it actually applied to us. I'm really big on, like, I don't want to just say Bible verses because they sound really good. I want to know that when I'm saying them, they actually apply not just to what I want to say, but what the Lord is saying, and I can pray with him. And so we want to be watchmen on the wall, but many of us in here would not qualify for that back in that day. So the question then becomes, how, how do I become a watchman and why should I even care about Israel, right? So David did a great job talking about why we should care about Israel, why we should pray for Israel. And I'm going to give a little bit more to that. So if you have the paper, we're going to go and we're going to talk, uh, talk through a couple of different points. So point number one, Israel... We're going to start from the beginning, right? So we're going, to, we're going to establish all this, and then it's going to talk about why does it matter for us as Gentiles. So from the very beginning, I think we all know this, that creation was created. Man was created for communion with God, to love the Lord, to come before him day and night, to walk with him in the cool of the garden for relationship. And the Lord, he desires, he's always desired communion and community and relationship with all of his people. There came this moment in Exodus chapter 19, Many of you have heard us talk about this a few times, where God comes down on a mountain and fire and smoke and all the fun manifestations. And he said, I want my people to come unto me. I want them to come to me. And he says this in Exodus chapter 19, you're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. 
And what he was saying was this, is that it's not just going to be Moses anymore, but I thank God for Moses and him bringing you out of, the, of, of Egypt and through the Red Sea and all the powerful stuff you saw. All that was good. All that was great. But I'm looking for everybody to become the Moses that comes before me. I want all of you to do it. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this point particularly, but it's important for us to understand that in the biblical history, when everybody had the invitation to come before the Lord that they did not want to. There came a moment where they came before the Lord, and then it says that, hey, stop right there. You can't go any further, but there's coming a moment where you will be able to. And in Exodus chapter 20, let me just read it to you guys. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance. They said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said, don't be afraid. Like, don't let this cause you to distance yourself when the Lord begins to reveal himself. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Many of us know what happens after this Moses. He goes up for 40 days. He comes down. There's a big party going on that should not have been going on. God said, let all those who are for the Lord stand. The Levites rose up and it got pretty bad after that. Come on, somebody. And then from there, God establishes the priesthood from the sons of Aaron. He establishes the Levites and who, those that will come before the Lord and minister to him day and night. But if you, know, if you understand the story well enough, you understand that was, not, that was not God's intentional plan was to have a people that would do this for everybody else. He called everybody to it. Does that make sense? And so we start from the, 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 the great statement of the children of Israel fell away from what was rightfully theirs. And so God began to set up the constructs and the plans and the programs to get as much as he could until the laying down of his son who he gave for the sins of the world before the foundation of the world. So that's number one. Number two, God brings salvation not only to Israel, but to the Gentiles, making them a priesthood of believers. Now, there's a lot of New Testament verses that we could go through to really harp on that point. Um, I think we understand, hopefully most of us understand salvation pretty well. I want to actually stay in Isaiah to talk about the salvation of the Gentiles really quick and what it does to Israel. So if you can go to Isaiah 56, it, sh it might be on your paper, Isaiah 56 verses three through seven this is one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to prayer because many of us know verses you know six through eight and you know even to them i will bring before me and i will you know i will be a house of prayer you know they will come before my house of prayer i'll make them joyful in my house of prayer my house shall be called we all know that and you know especially in the quote-unquote prayer movement we quote that a lot my house will be called a house of prayer. Like, yes, amen, Lord. Tell them other churches to pray because they don't do it good enough like we do. Like, that's not the point. When you understand verses 1 through 5, it really opens your eyes to God's plan in the place of prayer. And so I'm going to start at verse, one, uh, verse 3. And I'm going to read a few of these verses to you. It says this. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. So again, just paraphrasing, let not the son of the foreigner say, I have been completely separated from God's people. 
So what's happening? What are they talking about here? They're talking about two different types of people. They're talking about um, outcasts. When it talks about the, the eunuchs, it means it talks about the outcasts, those that were banished and out of, like, they were not allowed to come before like everybody else could to sacrifice and give to the priest. They were outcasts in their land, and they weren't able to come before like everybody else would to offer their sacrifices. And then the second part is, let not the son of the foreigner. So what does that mean? That is literally talking about the Gentile people talking about the gentile people if you if you look throughout the scripture you will see that every time the lord does something he always finds just a random gentile that gets marked by the lord and he grafts them in and it's the prophetic picture of what he ends up doing through the sacrifice of jesus the rahabs and the obed edens we're going to talk about him in a minute but that this is this there's this picture that god is showing us even back in and he's saying i'm going to do something with those that are the furthest away the furthest ones, the most unlikely ones, the ones that have no legal right to come before me, I'm going to do something for them. And if you know, like in Exodus and Leviticus talks about it without going into too much scripture, that those, the sons of the foreigners, the foreigners that wanted to give themselves to the Lord, they had opportunity to. They would give themselves to Israel. They would have to become circumcised and they would actually be able to, to take a part with Passover. So it wasn't like Israel only, nobody else ever. There was this thing where God, if he found a hungry person, I'm going to make way for them. I'm going to make way for them. I'm going to make way for the hungry ones, the unlikely ones, the outcasts, the foreigners. So again, when it says, do not let the son of the foreigner say, I've been utterly separated. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about those outcasts of Israel. It's talking about the Gentile people. So moving on. Uh, Lord, let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I'm going to read this again because this is like groundbreaking. This is literally is groundbreaking. He said, it's to those that will hold fast to my covenants, choose what pleases me. I'm going to give them in my house, right, in my house. He doesn't mean just Jerusalem. He means the place of prayer and sacrifice and worship, which they had no access to. And even within Israel, there was a very small amount of people that could as well. He said, I'm going to give them a place in my house, and I'm going to give them, listen, a name better than that of sons and daughters, like, do you understand what the Lord is saying? He's saying to those that are far off, that have no legal access or right, I'm going to, I'm, they're not cast out forever. I'm going to bring them in. I'm literally going to give them a name better than that of my own children. You say, Marcus, how does this whole stirring the, Jew, the Jews to jealousy thing work just because we get saved? No, it's, it's so much more than that. It's coming and, br and bringing them in and grafting them in so much so with so much love that it's like, wait, how do, why do they get treated like that and I don't? And we know the truth is that the children, yes, they have the same, the same opportunity that they've turned away. But there's this beautiful picture that the Lord was saying, like, this is, I can only imagine how this would have ruffled some feathers when Isaiah said this. When Isaiah said, listen, the Lord told me, you know, those people out there, they're going to come in here. They're going to come where the priests go, and they're going to minister to the Lord. And like, wait, we don't even get to do that. Like, how does that make any sense? So you can even see right here, like, you don't have to go to Romans 11 to see why and how we could, we could stir the Jews to jealousy. It's this place where the birthright of his children is being passed on to somebody else. 
And Esther, I don't know about you, have you ever had something that belonged to you given to somebody else and you didn't really care until it was given to somebody else? Like it was in the house, it's yours. You ever seen like your children, like they've got that one toy they never want to play with, but the moment you want to give it to somebody else, like, wait, wait, that's my toy. I remember this one time I was, I think it was middle school and I was on a basketball team and, you know, I was one of the, the better players. So I was starting, but there came, you know, I started getting lazy. I started getting lazy. And so I remember my coach, he like put me on the bench and like I started coming off the bench and I started losing minutes. And this kid that did not deserve my spot, come on, took my spot. He did not deserve it. Dude was trash. Come on, somebody. He was almost as bad as Pastor Gio. Listen, he has been roasting me on this stage on Sunday for months about basketball, and none of y'all have come to my defense. So the next time we play, I'm going to put a camera up in the gym so you can see what I actually do to him. <laughs> That's in my notes. That's page three. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, what am I saying? I'm saying this. is like he did not deserve that spot. That was my spot. But it, it stirred something in me when I saw somebody that did not deserve what I legally had take my place. This is what it looks like as the children of God see Gentiles coming before the Lord, ministering to him, operating out of love and grace and salvation. It stirs them up like that's where I'm supposed to be. That's what my that's my birthright. That's how it's supposed to be with me and the Lord. This is what's planned for me. Why is it happening over there? So this is why the whole even to them. I'm just going to read it. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6, also the sons of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Here we go, verse 7, even to them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, again, this is big. This is big. He says, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yes, I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So he says, from the place of prayer, he's gathering all men, the outcasts and the foreigners. He's grabbing all of them and he's bringing them in. And this is pivotal to understand that what we, this would have been mind-blowing. Like, wait, you mean them? And that, the, the them, the, accu the accusatory them is, a, is called to stir them up, stir the children of Israel up to jealousy. I want to read, um, let's go to Ephesians 2. So we see in the Old Testament, we see the Isaiah 56, like God says, oh, you know, well, this, is what, this is what I wanted to say. You know what I love about chapter 56 is we use it as the house of prayer mantra. And in most Bibles, it summarizes it so well because it summarizes it as the salvation of the Gentiles. You want to know what Isaiah 56 is about? It's not just about, hey, we should have houses of prayer. It's about the salvation of the Gentiles. And it's going to stir up the children of Israel. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2. And you've probably heard me mention this before. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 21. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So I'm going to read this, that first part one more time. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Book of Ephesians, written to the church of Ephesus, belong to mostly Gentile believers. This is Paul, after his experience in Ephesus and the great revival, he's talking to a bunch of people that are on the outskirts the outcasts the foreigners and he says i need you to understand something clearly after what the lord did i need you to see just how just how amazing what he did in this city in this region really is he says gentile christians believers i know there's some wonderings on if you should be giving uh, the sacrifices should you be getting circumcised or not let me just cut through all of the crap and let you know where you really stand with the lord gentile believers you are no longer strangers you are no longer foreigners. You are with the saints and you are fellow citizens. This is the great, this white, this, they call it the good news for a reason. This is the greatest news a Gentile believer could understand, especially after seeing, oh, he is the one real God. He's the one real God. And he's saying, I am no longer a stranger or a foreigner. I'm no, lo I'm no longer on the outside looking in, wishing that I could access something that I have no access or permission or legal right to. He said, I've grafted you in. I've brought you in. You are no longer strangers or foreigners. And then he says what? That you are living stones and you are building God a dwelling place in the spirit. He's saying, Gentile believers, as you come together, ministry to the Lord day and night from your local homes and in the corporate place when the church would gather, you are the house of prayer. You are, when you come together, you are the dwelling place of God in the spirit. You are the New Testament temple of the dwelling of God. You are the New Testament ark. You are the New Testament household of God. You are no longer on the outside looking in. And Paul wanted to intentionally let them know, you're all the way in this thing. You're all the way in this thing. First Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, this is Paul's talking to scattered Gentile believers, scattered Gentile believers. And he's saying, you're coming to him as living stones. You were rejected by men. What is he saying? Men did not think that you should have access to the Lord like you do. You're rejected by them. And they say, you have no place here. You got to be circumcised. You got to do this, that, and the third. You've got to follow all the laws of Moses that we couldn't even follow anyway, and we've fallen short, which is why we need Jesus. Like he's saying, you are now the holy priesthood. I need you to understand, when he says priesthood, I can only imagine how offending that is, offensive that would have been to Jews. Like, who, who in the world would say that they are priests? Like, there's a small amount of priests in this nation, and the majority of us could never be one if we wanted to. And you're calling them priests? 
the ones that get to come into the holy of holies and sacrifice to the Lord. And then on top of that, you're saying they don't have to give the spotless, blemishless animals and they don't have to give the perfect sacrifices and spend their money and give it to the priest and hope the priest didn't have a bad dream the night before and has to get drug out by a rope and he comes in and he sacrifices on behalf of everybody. You're telling them they have the same access? Do you realize the access that you have in this room tonight? Do you, uh, it's verses like this that just stir me up for the place of prayer, not just like shouting and being like the, 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 the uh, Pharisees that said they love to pray in front of men, but the place of I've got an open line to the Lord, a heart-to-heart -heart connection at all times, and he's made me one of the most revered positions that would have been in all of Israel. One of the most revered and feared positions, and that's all of you right now. Do you know how much you get to skip because of this verse right here? Spiritual house. We get to come to the spiritual house. We get to be the spiritual house. And God cut out all the middle stuff. And he said, I'm drawing you all the way in. Ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the world back to himself. Reconciling the entire world back to himself and no more middleman, middle animal. Jesus was the middleman. He's taking care of it once and for all. Holy priesthood. This is the whole point of the Isaiah 56. Like even to them, they'll be joyful in my house of prayer. What was he saying? I'm making priest out of all of them. I'm making a priest out of every single one. The old and the young alike. The children, the adults alike. The black and the white alike. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I'm drawing them all in and everyone will have a place at my table. Leveling the playing field. Free access at all times. This is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes everything, puts it on himself, sacrifices himself, and so there's no more distance. Jesus stood in the gap and physically made intercession. What is intercession? It's literally the standing between two parties for the purpose of reconciliation. Jesus on the cross, we're talking about prayer, watchman, intercession. Jesus on the cross was a physical embodiment of intercession, reconciling us back to the Father by his blood. Thought that would get a little bit more response, but praise the Lord. Um, Psalm 122. Let me go there real quick. God uses the salvation and priesthood of the Gentiles to give them a longing for Israel. I really want to read the whole Psalm 122 because it's a beautiful psalm. But I don't have time. The, 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 long, the long story short of Psalm 122 is it is the joy of the house of the Lord. The joy of his presence. The joy of being before the Lord. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I, okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing. as though I want to. But this is what it says in verse 6. And this is what we get to grab onto as priests. As priests before the Lord, each and every one of us, this is what we get to grab onto. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. 
I love that the prayer has a reward on the other side. They, they will prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, as David talking, I will now say peace be within you. Verse 9, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek the good of Jerusalem. What is David saying? It is the presence of God that makes him seek after the good of Israel. How does that apply to us? When you get grafted in and you become a priest before the Lord, he starts to stir you that all will become priests, including his chosen nation. And you begin to pray. I've realized this is that in my journey with the Lord is that you can only go so far without developing a heart for Israel or you'll just stop growing. Because it gets really boring when you start praying about you and only you for 20, dec 20 decades, golly, for two decades. Amen. Eventually, you run out of things to, to do. You run out of things to pray for. There's only so much you can do asking for yourself in a white picket fence. You get the white picket fence and it means nothing. The car, it means nothing. The job, it means nothing. You get all those stuff and you realize there's got to be something bigger than just me going on in this word. There's got to be something bigger than just what I want, what I need, and forming this thing into a book about how God can best please me. What does the presence do? It stirs your heart for what stirs God's heart. It stirs your heart for the longings that God has in his own heart. There's only so long you can be in the presence of the Lord and pray about just yourself. Come on, you ever been in a, you ever been in a place of pr private prayer and you're praying, you're talking to the Lord, you've gone through your list and like it just, you felt a grace on it and then just suddenly it just becomes like you're hitting the wall. Why? It's because God has something on his mind. God has something in his heart and he has he's brought you in because he wants to share it with you. Like how beautiful is this God that we serve that not only will he save us, he could save us and put us off to the side and say, all right, just don't act too crazy and I'll see you in heaven. You got a spot. But he says, I want to bring you into the longings of my heart. And the house of God, the place of his presence draws us and stirs us towards the good of Israel. We know Romans 11, 11, 11. I say then, they have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Worship team, you can get ready to come back up. Number five, the priesthood and intercession of the Gentiles, as well as their salvation, will bring forth the salvation of Israel. So now I want to go back to Isaiah 62, and we're going to wrap up right there. This is another beautiful passage, much like the Isaiah 56, like we have the house of prayer. And as you read the whole thing, like it's bigger than that. But what I love about the Isaiah 62 watching on the wall is God's not just saying, I'm just going to pick somebody up for military duty and throw them on the wall and you better do what I say. It's not the heart of the Lord to just say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to drop you off. You have to do that because I said it. It's in the Bible. We just have to obey it. This is what it said. I'm going to read it one more time. Then we're going to go back a couple of verses. I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give him no rest until he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, this is a beautiful thing. I want you to look at verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Can you put up that whole one through seven, Jay? There it is. There is a parallel 
in verses 1 and 2 with verses 6 and 7. And what you see in verses 1, verse 1 is you see the Lord speaking out of his heart. And then in verse 6, you see the Lord speaking about what he's going to do with the people. And so if you look, I think it's in the notes, the parallel between God, what God is saying, what he's saying to a people is this. Two times in verse 1, he says, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. Verse 6. They shall never hold their peace day or night. I will not rest. Watchmen, they will cry out day and night. They will not keep silent and they will give God no rest. What is he saying? He's saying that the heart of God, not just a duty or a job, but he's implanting the desires of his heart into his watchmen. It's going to cause them to pray. It's going to cause them to cry out. The cries of God touches the, the hearts of men and causes men to cry out like God does. And what is the middle ground? What is the middle ground of I'm going to do this, I'm going to tell them to do this? The crying out is from the place of love. It's from the place of you will no longer be called forsaken. You will be called Hebzibah. You will be called Beulah. I'm marrying you. And I'm doing, I'm doing all the amazing things. But this is the verse that he says. Where is it at? Uh, you got the next slide, Jay, for the next verses? For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is right before he says, I'm posting the watchman up. God spends five verses talking about his heart towards Jerusalem, his heart towards Israel. He wraps it up by saying, I love them. I am their bridegroom. I have my heart. My heart is towards them. I rejoice over their salvation. Now, what am I going to do? about it i'm setting watchmen on the wall why what what is the ending what is god's plan for the fullness of israel to come into his heart watchmen on the wall that will do the same thing that god is doing they will not hold their peace god said for jerusalem's sake i will not hold my peace and i'm planting my heart in the men and women of god and they will not hold their peace i will be restless i will not rest and i'm calling a people to give me no rest i love the beauty of intercession because it's literally god telling you what he wants you to do that he's already feeling anyway He's saying, I'm crying out for them. I'm believing for, I'm restless over them. Now give me no rest over them. Join in with what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm praying, what I'm believing for. This is what I believe that intercession is. It's feeling the way the Lord feels until you pray the, Lord, the way the Lord prays. It's a heart connection. We talked about the heart connection and the blood connection. We've been bought and purchased by his blood and he's given us his heart towards Israel. So it's like, how do we get to say that we are the watchmen? It's because God has brought us in as his priests. And then we pray like priests do. We pray like priests do. And we call on God to save his people. I want to read these last few things. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to get ready to pray. I want to read this last verse after I say these things. Watch. We as watchmen, we watch and we pray over Israel and our cities and regions. There's a lot of New Testament verses about watching and praying. Jesus, he establishes them as watchmen in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, watch and pray. They sound the alarm of spiritual danger and they sound the alarm of the inevitable return of the Lord. They rejoice vocally when Israel prospers or is at peace. And they warn when Israel is in danger. 
are physical and spiritual soldiers. We are the spiritual soldiers. As watchmen on the wall, we pray for the salvation of Israel and safe passage back into the city by holding the burning torch of intercession. I just want to read the end of uh, verse 1 in Isaiah 62. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. That was literally talking about those torches, those lamps that they would hold so that people could come back into the city of Jerusalem. As watchmen, we hold up the torch of intercession for the safe passage of Israel back to the Father. They rejoice with singing at the coming of the Lord over Zion. Isaiah 52, 8 says this, Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. It's the Lord saying that Isaiah 62, they're going to pray, cry out, and give no rest until the Lord establishes and as his watchmen, they will see it with their own eyes when the Lord returns to Zion. This is what the Lord has called us into. We pray for the nations. We pray for the lost. We pray for the Gentile world. And we understand the fullness of the Gentiles is going to bring the salvation of Israel. But I want you to understand as much as the preaching of the gospel, as much as the feeding of the poor is all extremely, extremely important. Without this part, listen, this pushes the cart forward. Our prayer, our intercession for Israel, it pushes the timeline card forward for God's purposes and plans to be fulfilled to the earth. You've heard the verse a lot. You've heard the verse enough times. I will not return until Israel says, blessed is he come that he that comes in the name of the Lord. This is how we partner with that word. It's stepping in the intercession saying, Lord, would you have your people? Would you have your people? So we've got about... 40 something minutes I'm not good with math left and we're going to step in and we're going to begin to pray the Isaiah 62 that he would set watchmen on his walls I just want to ask if y'all can just sing yours is the kingdom let's just stir ourselves up in this moment let's just prepare ourselves to step into prayer and intercession and we're going to exercise this muscle so about 8.30 or whenever the Lord tells us to stop we're going to just press in so as they're singing why don't you just begin to sing? Why don't you just begin to lift your hands? Begin to lift your voice. Let's just stir ourselves up. Let's just stir ourselves up to take a hold of God in this moment, this evening. If you want to spread out, if you want to walk around the room, if you want to pace, if you want to sit, if you want to lay down, whatever helps you get into that place of prayer.
next few moments. I just want to encourage you. Why don't you just grab your Bible and open up to Isaiah 62. We're just going to get really practical here. It's like, what does it look like to step into intercession? Let's just, let's just open this word and just read it and just begin to pray it out loud. There's no better way to intercede than to pray the Lord's word right back to him. So we're going to begin to pray. I'm going to read Isaiah 62. I'm going to pray for a few moments. The team is going to go back and they're going to begin to sing about the watchman on the wall. They're going to begin to release as the Lord just gives them utterance. And then we're going to begin to open up the microphone. We're going to ask you to come down and just say a brief prayer. It doesn't have to be long. But we just want to corporately gather, corporately gather around this concept of the Lord setting us on the wall. So I'm going to read this again. And I'm going to begin to pray. I just want to invite you again to pray along. I have said, watch me
take a few moments and pray. It says that the watchman will be on the wall. What does the wall do? It surrounds the city. And so we just want to ask the Lord to establish a wall in the spirit that the prayers of the saints would surround Israel. So Father, in the name of Jesus, oh, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that they don't fall on deaf ears. But Lord, as we begin to cry out to you, it moves your ears and you incline your ears and it begins to move your heart. And so Lord, we thank you that every prayer towards Israel is heard and is received and is stored up in your bones. And right now, we just ask in Jesus' name, intercession for Israel, that they will be surrounded in the spirit realm with the constant intercession of the saints. We ask for that day and night, no rest, unceasing sound of intercession towards Israel. Lord, that it wouldn't be responsive on what we're told to, but that you will mark it on our hearts, Lord, that we'll be proactive. Lord, that we'll be like those watchmen that were diligent, they were faithful, they were up and active and alert. And we ask in Jesus' name, would you make us active? Would you make us active in the place of intercession? Would you make us diligent in the place of prayer? Would you make us alert in the spirit realm? Would you set us up on the wall, Lord, that we will look over Israel with a longing and a desire? Lord, you said they will look and they will seek for joy when you return to Zion. So, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, let our sound go forth. Let our song go forth. Let our intercession go forth. Let our
step out and take a risk. It's fun. This is a fun atmosphere. And the Lord loves it. So let's go ahead and begin to pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, Father, I'm going to continue to pray out of Isaiah 62, verse 6. I've said, Watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make commission of the Lord, do not keep silent. Lord, there is a wall established right now in Jerusalem called the Wailing Wall. So, Lord, I ask that you draw them to the Wailing Wall. Draw them by your Spirit, Father God. Let the full Logos word, the full Scripture word be released right now in the name of Jesus.
few more moments to keep praying that that Psalm 130, Psalm 131. Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord. I just wonder if we could just sing that, keep singing that just softly. Let's just take a few moments. I just really feel like the Lord wants to infuse Israel with hope at the move of our prayers. So let's just continue to pray for that. Again, it's Psalm 130 and then Psalm 131. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, we ask that our prayers would infuse hope into Israel in the name of Jesus. Let's just take a few moments to sing and pray that before we keep praying.
not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. God, we just pray right now. We make war over our comfort, Father. God, we just pray that you shake us, Father, night and day, Father. We'll wake up, we'll cry out for you, Father. God, give us the urgency of the hour, Father. God, stir us up. God, give us your heart for it. God, give us your heart, God. Break us, Jesus. Get us out of our comfort zone, Father. God, let us not sleep in, God. Let us cry for you, God. God, when we're hungry, we find food, God. God, stir it up, Father. Sound the alarm. Wake us up, Jesus. Sound the alarm, Father. Jesus, let us cry for your people. Give us your heart right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, let's just pray that for a few more moments that the Lord would wake his church up in a prayer and intercession. Because y'all just sing, wake us up. Something will wake us up. Just feel like for the next few moments, I just love that urgency of the hour. I really feel that. Like we're in an urgent moment. I just feel like the Lord, just for the next couple of minutes, let's just pray for in the urgency of the hour that the Lord will wake up his church to prayer and intercession. So Father, in Jesus' name, would you begin to wake up your church? All over the earth, we ask.
church. Your word says that you will roar over Zion. We just ask that you will release the roar of the lion in your church. Wake your church up that they may wake up Israel. Wake your church up that they may wake up Jerusalem. The restless sound we ask in the name of Jesus. Lord, I even just ask that you would just open our eyes with revelation into the importance of our prayer, the importance of our intercession, not only the urgency of the hour, but how pivotal, how significant, and how essential your prayers, the prayers of the saints are, that they would come before you night and day for you to establish Jerusalem as a praise, Lord. Lord, we ask for the lifting of the voices in your church in Jesus' name, the lifting of a sound, let there be a corporate sound heard around the world for the sake of Israel. Lord, we just even pray that over these 21 days, that word of the global intercession will begin to spread throughout Israel. That it will begin to spark not only their curiosity, but their jealousy and their hunger for you, Lord. Let the word of the Lord run rampant in Israel by the prayers of your people. Raise up missionaries. Let the gospel go forth, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Let our intercession be fuel. Let it be fuel to the going forth of your word. Salvation of Israel, we ask, Lord. Oh, Lord, we even just ask that the sound of intercession would break the partial hardening. Lord, just that there's a partial hardening into the fullness of the Gentiles, and then Israel will be saved. Lord, we ask that there will be a sound, a sound that is released to the earth that will bring the fullness of the Gentiles and break the partial hardening for the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ to be made manifest in Israel. Oh, Lord, we love you. Let's just end by just singing yours as the kingdom one more time. Let's just sin ourselves around the fact that Jesus, the kingdom is his, everything belongs to him, and you will have his will.
just an amen. Literally saying, let it be when we say amen. We're saying yes and amen plans for raising up watchmen on the wall, those that would cry out day and night, Lord, not out of religious mandate and duty, but out of your heart for Israel, we ask that you would touch our hearts, we say yes and amen, that you would do it in us, that you would do it in this room, that you would do it in this prayer room, that you would do it around the ends of the earth, and we just say yes and amen. Matthew 6, you said, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Lord, we just ask that you will bless those that are in this room, those that have watched online. Lord, we just ask that you will bless their homes, their families. And Lord, that amongst all the beautiful things we pray for, we just ask that you give us a heart towards Israel. That it's not a political thing. It's not random Bible verses that only represent the church. Lord, you're really returning to a real location. You're going to place the foot pegs of your throne in the midst of Jerusalem. And we want to be a part of it. So we say yes and amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you for just being a part of this new flow and joining us in worship and in the word and in prayer we just really feel like it's important in this season that we center ourselves in the word unto praying unto God's prayers and God's desires for the earth so we thank you for going on that journey with us thank you to everybody that's in the room just praying those that came up those that didn't come up those moments when we're coming up and we're all praying collectively they matter they matter to the Lord and it's the diversity and the uniqueness of our prayers. There's things that you're praying in the back row that may not ever be on a microphone that, are, that matter to God and they move things. There's things that you come up here and you're praying in the microphone, they matter and they're moving things. And the Lord loves it. He enjoys it. He enjoys the sound of our voice together. So, hey, we love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Just as a reminder, every single day until May 28th, we're going to be open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with live prayer sets throughout the day. We'd love to see you throughout those times. And we love you and we bless you. Have a great night.